so excited each of us are this Lord's Day morning to have the wealth and the goodness of the health that we do have to be able to come together and assemble for the purpose of worshiping the great God of heaven. Our Savior Himself stated that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve, Matthew 4 verse 10. And as always, we're simply honored that we have the privilege of doing that today. It is our goal and desire that we would each be able upon our departure today to say how much strength that we feel like we've received from the Word of God and the opportunity to be drawn closer and nearer unto Him. You may notice on the wall to my left, the title of the lesson today, in fact, makes reference to the topic of growth, but not only that, to the name of our congregation, the Pippin Church of Christ. I would like you to consider with me for the next few moments some attributes of growth and see if we can't relate them to our congregation itself. Maybe some introductory remarks would certainly be in order. Isn't it amazing the common character and the common nature that seems to relate to growth? We're always seemingly aware of it. Plants grow. Many of us, as we think about the garden, we planted a seed only a few weeks ago, and now there's a full-blown plant. Some even already have fruit therefrom. There's also, of course, the growth of the physical body as we watch our children, even we who are older, continue to grow as well. Maybe in light of all that, you'll though notice some other features of that initial part of that slide. There is even growth in the inanimate world. Stars grow. We also appreciate growth sometimes in other arenas and avenues of life. I would say that perhaps the statements at the bottom of that slide, sometimes growth is good and sometimes it's not. I want us to consider very carefully this morning, what about growth as we consider it in light of some feelings and expositions? I believe our study will be a beneficial thing, and I hope that we'll find it very encouraging. Because after all, at the bottom, what about our congregation? What about the topic of growth as it particularly relates to this church? Let's begin that journey as follows. The present state of the Pippin Church of Christ. I know that some of the things that we're about to consider and some of the comments I'm about to make are by no means a strange matter. But you'll notice at the top there at this present moment in time appears to be a positive sense and a positive character touching our church. I know there are times when Denise and I, the individuals who leave our assembly, they make a positive statement about the excitement they feel in our worship services and the benefit that they seemingly feel in our Bible studies, the opportunity they seemingly see in terms of the eager and joyful singing that they hear. Sometimes individuals share with us how different that seems from other congregations with which they're familiar. I would say in light of all of that, that's certainly a very interesting thing to hear. I would ask you to note again that word positive that I tried to use. But beyond that, look at some of the next statements if you would. All of us are aware just by looking at the attendance boards to my left and right you know that we have been blessed in many ways with individuals who've chosen to come and be with us. Over the last several years, the number is, of course, very, very many. We're so thankful that they have, by their consideration of this congregation, have found a place where they feel like the service and worship of God is in accordance to the Bible, and they feel comfortable here. But I would again say that does indicate a positive sense and an attribute 
that should not go unobserved. Please note also what follows. Many have commented also about a sense of positive energy and a sense of positive eagerness and devotion that they sense in this place. So much so that they comment about the leadership we have. We have three elders, and it's recognized by many about the effort and the labor and the job that they have done and continue to do. In addition, the deacons, they are appreciated in the activity attaching to their duty and their work. Perhaps what's more, the Bible class teachers, the effort that they put forth and the job that they do, the membership at large as it touches upon the eager discipleship we feel towards serving Christ. Maybe you can continue that list yourself. But I would say in light of all of it, it is important, it seems, from the Word of God to at least reflect upon the character of that growth. And I would invite us to do it today as we reflect on it. Isn't it interesting that that same comment I made at the very beginning of the lesson is still appropriate? Not all growth is positive. There probably are assemblies of people in one form or another who their numbers also are growing. But yet we know there's an element of faith that's missing and there's an attachment to the structure of the Word of God that's absent. Today, what about growth of this congregation? I would hope that we might use some of the thoughts of this lesson as a reminder from the book of God that as we think about growth and the sense that goes with it, may we never ever allow that sense to be guided solely by our feeling of what's positive and our feeling of what the sense of rightness is. For after all, as you come to the bottom of that slide, it is true, growth is important. The book of God so frequently mentions it, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Verse 18 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Isn't it amazing that even Paul commented about that experience of growth? To the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse number 7, Paul made this statement, I have planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. May you and I observe that Apollos and Paul did their effort in faithfulness, but it was God, the great God of heaven, who provided the growth. It was He who motivated and led to the final consequence of that which Paul called growth. May you and I have that same idea. You and I can plant water but ultimately that growth must rely with Him and come from His benefit, blessing, and the efforts attached to His service. Surely that bottom statement on that slide is one that I would invite us then to think about as a motivation for the rest of the lesson. In Philippians 4, verse number 17, Paul makes a reference to the church in Philippi and does so in a very, very intriguing fashion. He makes reference to their account. I know we're accustomed to thinking about a bank account, yours and mine, and perhaps a bank in Putnam or Jackson County, and we understand that that account has my name on it or your name on it. Here, there was an account. It had the Philippi Church of Christ's name on it. It was their account, but it was an account that Paul observed that they should be very mindful of May I ask, what about the Pippin Church of Christ's account? And I don't mean at the bank. I mean in heaven. We have an account in heaven. Are the assets attached to it far greater than the liabilities? Does God look upon it with favor? And does He consider the growth 
a very positive thing. Let's study then about growth for the rest of the lesson today and perhaps reflect upon our present state at the Pippin Church, but use it as the motivation also for what may lie in our future. First of all, might I ask, why don't we look at several occurrences in the Bible of where growth took place? Instances in the Word of God in which there was a growth of one kind or another. And we shall discover some of the times were good, but some of them were not. Maybe you and I can learn much about what took place then. We can learn what not to do in the cases where the growth was bad, but we can learn what to do in the cases where it was good. In Genesis chapter 11 is the first case you and I shall consider. And you'll notice the title. This is, of course, that well-known setting in the ancient arena, the Tower of Babel. The people on that occasion, as they had particularly, of course, advanced past the time of Noah's flood, verses 1 and 2 of this chapter remind us that there was a group of people that came from the east and they settled in a plain that was known as the Plain of Shinar. Now that plain of Shinar is, of course, the territory you and I recognize as Babylon. It was the place of modern-day Iraq, I-R-A-Q. That same plain, or at least that same territory, is mentioned in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2 as the setting for the book of Daniel. There's where, of course, also Daniel was in captivity. It was, of course, in Babylon. But be that as it may, we observe that on this plain... The people, of course, began to make a plan. And all growth, it seems, will involve a kind of plan. But they said, let us make brick and mortar. They had the capacity and the capability to construct and to build. And they did, for their plan was this. Let's build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Why might we want to do this? Note the next verse. That we might make a name for ourselves, that we be not scattered abroad. You can see much in their plan. A tower, a city, but all that which motivated it was that they might construct their name. I've tried to highlight much of that in the midst of that slide. There was a great deal of growth. For verses 4 and 5 do indicate they did build the city and they did build the tower. Here's the first example it would have seen in human history of the construction of some kind of a skyscraper. They built a tall kind of tower in one form or another. And as we appreciate it, notice though that the entire project was a failure. The Word of God highlights in those opening nine verses of Genesis chapter 11 the fact that though they succeeded in building the tower and though they succeeded in building the city, you and I know so well that God was not pleased with it. We don't know how many people began to dwell near the base of the tower and how many were the inhabitants of the city, but this we do know. God looked down upon it and said, This is not acceptable. There is no thought to be withholding from them. I will go down and confound their language. The people at that time, verse 1 tells us, were of one language. Notice, then the unison that they had brought them to construct this which was not pleasing to God. Growth that was not satisfactory. That's a sad consideration, isn't it? At the middle of that slide, you'll notice 
God's plan and God's will for the people at that time was to spread forth, to disperse, and to populate the earth. And yet here was a group of people, perhaps sizable in number. They wanted to stay in one spot, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. And as such, God, of course, confounded the languages. And He, of course, brought about the dispersion. What might be some lessons in that for you and for me? Notice, their issue and their objective to make a name for themselves was back of the problem. Isn't it still true today that any growth, be it here at Pippin or otherwise, in a religious sense, if we strive to engage in it for the purpose of making a name for ourselves, we are no better than the babbling at Babel, right? We're no better than the state of affairs at that ancient Tower of Babel. Here, they attempted to make a name for themselves, to draw the credit, the attention, the notoriety, and fame to themselves, and as such, God was not pleased with it. And that still is true of us. We here at the Pippin Church, the glory does not belong to us. We would never wish it to be so. The lesson text from 2 Corinthians 10, 17 was, Let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. We want the credit and all the notoriety to go to Him. For isn't it true that look at His name? Unlike our name, His name is great. In Acts 4 verse number 10, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Your name and mine can't bring salvation, but the name of Christ can. And you and I appreciate from that passage in Colossians 3.17 the firm determination that must correspond to any effort or work that we undertake. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. The growth that we have experienced, it is our strong demand and insistence that it be directed, all the credit to it to God. He gives the increase. It does not belong to any one of us individually. As long as we keep that in mind, we won't make the same mistake they made at Babel. There, the confusion and the confounding that came from it, of course, ultimately led to their work not having nearly the impressiveness they wanted it to have. They were scattered abroad. Today, it will not take long. Once a group tries to make a name for itself, it won't be long before it shall splinter because this one will think that one's getting more credit and that one will think this one is and soon they will divide and soon they will have these differences and soon factions will develop. But when, of course, all are working on the same team of God, with Christ as our captain, Hebrews 2 verse 10, then they will pull together and they will continue to work toward that goal of giving the credit and glory to God. The Tower of Babel, as you'll notice at the bottom, brings us to appreciate how sweet is that name of Christ. His name is a name more excellent even than any of the angels, Hebrews 1 verse 4. It is a name that is attached in Romans 1 verse 5 as the name through which you and I can be saved. No wonder then it's that name that you and I joyfully use. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, Acts eleven twenty six. Our first lesson of the morning then has been a bad example. And by that I mean they who made a mistake in their growth. They grew all right, but it was motivated by the wrong thing. 
It was motivated by wanting a name for themselves. It has not been, nor shall it be, our desire for that kind of thing here at Pippin. We want the credit to belong to the one who deserves it. And all increase, of course, is from Him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, this neither shadow of turning. Verse 17 of James chapter 1. Maybe in light of that, we can consider yet another example. This one having been one that prompts us to think of what should not motivate our growth, let's look at some of the features attached to a scene in the book of Hosea. In the fourth chapter of the book of Hosea, please turn to that opening minor prophet and let's revisit an interesting saga from that ancient day of the long ago. Hosea, the fourth chapter. The people of Israel, of course, were the individuals to whom God had sent Hosea as a prophet. And not just the people of Israel at large, but remember there was a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea was particularly commissioned by God to preach to the northern kingdom. And he had a very, very hard message for them in many ways. I would ask you to notice the sixth verse of Hosea chapter 4. That chapter began with a reminder that there were several problems and issues with the people because they had chosen to direct their lives in the way that was improper. Even the land mourned, verse number 2 tells us, because of the iniquity and sin that was so rampant in it. When you arrive at verse number 6, though, you begin to observe that God identifies a major portion of the problem. My people are destroyed, God said, for lack of knowledge. The reason that the people had gone astray and the reason that their growth was so improper was because the knowledge of God wasn't in it. In fact, notice the wording of verse number 7. Right after telling them that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, he says their increase has led to more sin. Did you note the word increase with me? There had been growth. There had been a movement in the direction of what one would call growth. And yet God said that growth and that increase was directly attached to a greater and greater encumbrance of sin. Maybe again we can look at another bad example. What did they do incorrectly that you and I might learn from and not make that mistake today? Well, please highlight with me the following. It does sound like this people had more than once fallen into a trap like this. Here, their increase was attached to more sin. It reminds us of Isaiah 30, verse 1. The people go from one sin to the next one. God, through Isaiah, said from sin to sin. They can no sooner finish one than they've already started another one. That's a sad reflection on the people who ought to have been the people of God. In Zephaniah 3, verse 7, the people rose up early to corrupt all their doings. It's as though they set their alarm clock early to see how much sin they could get committed before the sun rose. That's a great tragedy, isn't it? Here again was some growth, but it was not a positive one. There was a numerical growth. There was a growth in one way attached to numbers, if you please, of Israel, but the growth was not associated with what God found acceptable. Maybe in that you and I can find another lesson. Notice the attribute of what caused it. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
often the easiest growth to actually see is numerical growth. I mean, the numbers on the board indicate that. But a far greater importance in many ways, what about the growth in faith? What about the sense of nearness to God that is in this place? You and I ought to very much cherish that kind of feeling. We ought to appreciate that individual growth in faith. You may think about youngsters, a little boy or girl, parents. Have you witnessed anything like this? Maybe six months ago, that little boy couldn't name the twelve apostles, but he can name them now. Maybe six months ago, that little girl was not able to name the books of the Bible, but now in order she can name all 27 New Testament books. Or maybe that teenager who one year ago was not equipped with the verses of appreciation, of quotation concerning the matters of how, how to become a Christian, the plan of salvation, but now can tell you book, chapter, and verse where those are. Maybe as the adults in the class. Was there a time, perhaps a half year or more ago, when maybe the confidence attached to a verse like 1 Peter 3.15 was not fully appreciated, but now you have a confidence with the Word of God and a sense of conviction concerning what worship must be to be pleasing to God? If so, you've grown in the faith. I'm reminded of those apostles who said, Lord, increase our faith. Luke 11, beginning in verse 1. If that kind of growth has been felt and known, then there's reason to feel positive in so many ways about not only numerical growth, but growth in knowledge, growth in wisdom relative to this book. Perhaps in many ways that attaches directly to some of the matters of attendance, doesn't it? When an individual treasures knowledge of the book of God, he or she will look forward to those times when that book is under discussion and when... It's elaborated upon and taught, and so there will be attendance, the greater attendance at the Bible study hours, because therein the book of God is considered and taught, and that's the sole focus. Our interest, of course, in Bible studies isn't the Wall Street Journal. It's not the latest periodicals. It's not the latest journals. Our interest is in the Word of God. My people are destroyed for lack of it. Thus, you and I wish to continue to highlight it, to focus the spotlight upon it like a giant lens, putting your life and mine in the spotlight relative to this book. And that's what makes it so lovely, isn't it? Notice they were destroyed in Hosea's time, but you and I today look forward to not that mistake, but rather in which God's knowledge or the knowledge of Him is so very much increasing. There's a text in 2 Peter chapter 1. You may remember that beginning in verse 5 of that chapter, Peter makes a listing of those elements that are so critical to spiritual growth. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith knowledge. You'll notice he immediately highlights there's to be an addition, a movement forward, a growth, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's his reference to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you and I continue to not only pursue it, but to move in that direction with eagerness and with excitement. 
And if so, then God will give the increase. And it will be an increase in individual faithfulness. And that will manifest itself, I'm sure, in continued growth in a numerical way as well. You may notice some additional comments. Psalm 127, verse number 1. I suspect maybe your mind has already raced at one point or another in this lesson of that verse. It seems to me this is the time to revisit it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. That's just a wonderfully poetic way of asserting unless the building is prompted by, and motivated by, and pursues that which is God's will, the building and all attached to it is but futile. Except the Lord build the house, the laborers labor in vain. I trust that as we think about growth and the desire and their insistence to maintain that it is in light of what's positive in God's Word, we'll always make sure the growth is based on the bedrock of God. That statement in 1 Corinthians 3.11 reminds us of the one and only foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. May you and I close that slide then by highlighting this. You and I are told to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. 1 Peter 2 verses 1 and 2. And we're told in Galatians 1.10 that that growth mustn't be motivated by just trying to be popular with the world. For if so, we are not the servants of Jesus. You see, His Word stands superior and supreme to what culture or society might say. And so we Pippin aren't motivated by that. And it's not our desire to just be like everybody else. We want to follow the Lord, and that's our only ruling guide. Our second example has also then been in what happened, a negative one. Their growth was not in knowledge, but we demand ours to be. And if so, maybe that brings us to our third example. Whereas the other two were so negative, look at how positive this one is. I've reserved this one to this point so that we could take the mistakes of the previous two and make sure we saw how they were not apparent this time. Come with me to the early church in the record of that book known as the book of Acts. That fifth book of the New Testament. It is a 28-chapter masterpiece on the growth of the church. If ever there was a textbook written that highlights a how-to book on church growth, it has to be the book of Acts. What did they do and what did they not do? That should tell us today, on the one hand, what we ought to do, but also what we ought not do. Come back with me to the second chapter of that book. In Acts chapter 2, we see on that occasion that interesting day of Pentecost when a large number of Jews were assembled and come together to celebrate and keep that feast of the ancient Pentecost. As they did so, beginning in verse 14, Peter and the others stood up and started preaching. And it was a message somewhat foreign, of course, to those gathered. But as Peter closed the lesson, we remember that some of them were pricked in their heart by what they heard. And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice then verses 41 and 42. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
we see roughly 3,000 individuals obeyed the gospel that day. Roughly 3,000 became members of the blood-bought body of Christ. There was an explosive growth on that first day. But you'll notice what prompted the efforts thereafter. Notice verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Those individuals that became Christians, notice it didn't stop there. That was really only the commencement point. It says they continued steadfastly. They were dedicated and devoted to that which was the apostles' doctrine. Notice also to fellowship, to observing the Lord's Supper, and to praying. They were motivated by this sense of desire relative to their nearness to God in the keeping of those activities, and they did it steadfastly. What was the result of that? Look two chapters later in Acts 4 verse 4. Now we notice that there were many others who continued to believe, and now the number is 5,000, roughly. 2,000 more individuals have obeyed the gospel. What explosive growth from 3,000 to 5,000, roughly. But we still aren't finished. Look at the next chapter, Acts 5, 14. Notice as we element by element proceed through the book of Acts, it says... There were many additional believers, multitudes both of men and women. Notice there continue to be large numbers added to the body of Christ. Many individuals who became Christians. And the Bible simply says that the numbers increased dramatically. Go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 6, verse number 7. We now find especially in relation to Jerusalem that the number of the disciples increased greatly. Isn't that amazing? And note the adverb, greatly. It's not that it was a minor increase. The number of the disciples in that city alone was extensively increasing. Notice how that verse ends, Acts 6, verse 7. Not only was the number simply increasing, it says, a great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even individuals of shall we say, denominations or those that were not servants to God, even they, upon hearing the truth, were convicted by it. And the lives of the examples of those that were, of course, the faithful servants of God, and even the, some of them became Christians. We still aren't finished. Acts 12, verse 24. We find on that occasion that the Word of God increased. Now notice, that does not mean there were more books added to the Bible. That means that those adherents to the Word of God, those that were Christians, continue to increase in number. We're still discussing growth. Look at Acts 19, verse number 20. One more time, the Word of God is said to have been increasing and prevailing. Notice that one now is no longer in Jerusalem. That latter one is in, of course, the city of Ephesus. It seems wherever the church was, it was growing by leaps and by bounds. And how sweet it was to look at how they did it. How did they do it? Notice Acts 8 verse 4. In Acts 8 verse 4, we find this interesting little statement. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Here was the reason. They weren't motivated by the culture or the Roman Empire or the imperial government. They weren't motivated by their own personal feelings. They were motivated by what the Bible says. It would seem that one of the best slogans then ever would be this one. What saith the Scripture? 
Romans 4 verse 3. That question, if we will base our efforts, our decisions, our work upon it, God will take care of the increase. And the growth will necessarily not only be individually realized, but as a congregation numerically. Colossians 1.23 is a beautiful pinnacle to these thoughts. With these congregations growing as we've looked at it in the book of Acts, what then could Paul say uh, roughly 30 years later as he wrote the Colossian letter? Every creature under heaven has heard the gospel. What started in Jerusalem had spread over the whole known world. That is amazing. That kind of growth didn't come by accident. It came by people who were determined and dedicated to follow God and His Word in every way. And may I say, what a beautiful consideration for the growth you and I would desire and wish today. And so at the bottom of that slide, we find a group of people in the book of Acts motivated by truth, motivated by sincere love one for another, motivated by their attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and motivated by their desire to live faithfully so that they could, of course, enter heaven evermore. It is so tragic to consider the opposite state of affairs in Mark 8, 36 and 37, where those who have engaged in activities in this life, but it's all gone for naught. For you see, they would happily exchange anything they would have for, of course, the faithfulness of their soul then. As we come to the close of this lesson this morning, we've looked then at Christian growth, specifically the growth of our church, the Pippin Church of Christ. The positive sense we have, we would wish for it thus to be characterized like this. We don't want growth like the Tower of Babel. Although it was growth, we're not happy with that. For it was motivated by the wrong thing, a name for ourselves. The growth in Hosea's time, it was accompanied by lives that were not dedicated to the things of God. And hence, they lacked knowledge and they lacked the application of it. And that's not acceptable either. But as we come to the book of Acts, we find growth that is amazing. And growth that is pleasing to God. Growth that's based upon His Word and the truth that it presents. And that's the growth we wish here at Pippin. We trust that today, if there's someone in the audience and you aren't a member of the body of Christ, you've never obeyed Christ initially, may we ask, please, with urgency, think about your situation. God, of course, knows all things, and He knows your loss, but He made availability of a plan by which you could be saved. It's only through Christ. Jesus died for you at Calvary. And if you would like thus to put Him on today in baptism, realize that's the culminating act that puts you in Christ. You need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name as a Son of God, and be baptized. If you do that, you'll be added to the church. I can't add you, even our elders can't, but Christ can because it's His church. Matthew 16, 18. If you have become a member of that body, but you've strayed away from faithfulness and you want to come back and be a part of a thriving, enthralling, convicted growth in His name, we'd be happy to pray to God on your behalf. If we could be of assistance to you in either of these ways today, we would use this as an opportune time and a convenient one, and we would invite you to come even now while together we stand and while we sing.